Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. Favorite method that Jesus had of teaching and preaching was using parables. Most of his parables are recorded in the Gospel of Luke. The parable that we will look at this morning in Mark chapter 4 is the longest parable that Mark records. The word parable is from two Greek words. One means alongside. Balo means to cast or to throw. It is to cast or to throw alongside a truth to illustrate that truth. Jesus loved to speak in parables. In fact, in Mark chapter 4, if you look at verse 10, the disciples ask him why he spoke in parables. Verse 10, as soon as he was alone, his followers along with the twelve began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables, in order that while seeing they may see and not perceive, and while hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they return and be forgiven. With the parable of the sower, the seed and the soil, Jesus gives us an insight into a common problem. Why is it that there are hundreds of sermons and Bible studies and devotional thoughts being given on television and on radio and in churches all across America today, and yet for the most part, they will fall on deaf ears? Very few changes will be made. Very few adjustments in life will be made as a result of all this preaching. So the question has to come in our minds, has the Word of God lost its power? The answer to that question is no, it hasn't. Jesus spoke in parables for two reasons. One was to hide the truth, and the other was to reveal it. He would reveal the interpretation of the parables to his followers, to those who were interested in hearing, not to the casual listeners, not to the one who just came to check him out and were there out of curiosity, but Jesus would reveal to those who were serious seekers what it meant to follow him. And he spoke in parables so that those who were just on the outside or those who were trying to be critical, they wouldn't understand what he was saying anyway. And then when his disciples would be alone with him, he would explain to them the purpose of the parables. Now, a parable is different from a fable. A fable doesn't have any kind of spiritual aim, and a parable does. A parable is different from a myth in that it has spiritual truth attached to it. A parable is different from a proverb, and that a proverb is a self-contained thought. A parable has to be expanded on. It is merely an illustration. In fact, there are three characteristics of parables. First of all, it is a picture. It is a picture that attracts us and draws us and interests us. When we read the parables of Jesus, they attract us to something and they remind us of something. It's usually a common figure that would have been known in that time. And Jesus used parables to paint a picture to teach a truth. Secondly, it's a mirror. It's a mirror in which you and I see ourselves. We find ourselves maybe at some point in the parable. Thirdly, it's a window. It's a window so that you and I can observe truth and see what God is saying to us. 
the quote there in your notes from Matthew Henry. A parable is a shell that keeps good fruit for the diligent and keeps it from the slothful. Now, Jesus used three symbols in this parable. First of all, he used the symbol of the seed. The seed is a picture of the Word of God. Now, it's a seed for two reasons. Because it has life in it and because it produces fruit. The reason that God uses the seed to picture the Word is because there is life in a seed and there's life in the Word. And because the Word produces fruit just as the seed produces fruit. Now, I don't think I would get any argument out of this congregation that the Word of God is good seed. Amen? I mean, it's good seed. It's the best seed you can buy. Jesus said, My Word will not return void. You never give the seed of the Word of God and it produces nothing. There's always a reaction to the Word of God. We've got good seed. Well, we've also got a good sower because the sower represents Jesus. Jesus Christ sowed the Word of God, the words from His Father, the words of Scripture were woven together in the life of Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God's Word says in Leviticus 19.19 that we should not sow in our field two kinds of seed. The hardest thing for us to do as believers is to sow only the Word of God. It is difficult for us because we have a temptation and a tendency to sow tradition or to sow our ideas or our personal opinions or our thoughts and to try to plant that along with the unadulterated Word of God and then try to put it over on top of it and say, but this is the way it really is. It's like the guy who said in a business meeting one time, I don't care what the Bible says, here's what I think. You see, that's sowing two kinds of seed. We've got good seed and we've got a good sower. There's nothing wrong with Jesus Christ and what He can do in your life today. Nothing at all. He's a good sower and He does not sow a mixed bag of seeds. He sows one kind of seed and that seed is the Word of God. Now he gives us a third picture, a third symbol, and that's of the human heart, and that's the soil. You see, this is more a parable of the soil than it is of the sower and the seed. Because the problem in this parable is not the problem with the sower or the seed. The problem is with the soil, the condition of the soil. And the soil in the parable represents the heart of man. The key to you and I understanding and interpreting all other parables rest in your understanding this parable. If you can get a handle on this parable, you can begin to understand the other parables that Jesus teaches because it is foundational, it is fundamental, and the interpretation of the parable of the sower, the seed, and the soil is found in verses 14 and verse 20. He says, the sower sows the word. So the key to everything we do and everything we believe is the Word of God. Then in verse 20 he says, And those are the ones on whose seed was sown on the good soil. And notice there are three results of seed sown on good soil. First of all, they hear the Word. Then they accept the Word. And then they bear fruit. They hear it. They accept it. And they bear fruit. The Word is sown and dropped into the hearts of believers. They accept that God's Word is true, and then they begin to bear fruit in their lives. So all growth and all godliness and everything that is good that comes out of our life 
is sown by the sower using the seed in our hearts. Now, one way that you can interpret this parable is by saying Jesus is picturing four different individuals. That is true. He can be very definitely picturing four different individuals. He can also be picturing four different ways that we respond to the Word of God as an individual. In other words, you and I, at different points in our lives, can respond to the Word of God differently. We can receive it sometimes. Sometimes we come to church, and, and if you are a typical believer, you may come, and some Sundays it just seems like God's just opened the windows of heaven, and you've just been overwhelmed with all the teaching out of God's Word. Some Sundays you come, and it doesn't seem to make much difference. Some, sometimes we approach the Word of God, and we act impulsively toward it. Sometimes we're closed toward the Word of God. Somebody's preaching on something or teaching on something and we don't like what he has to say and so we kind of close the drapes of our mind and we say, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to believe that. I don't think that has anything to do with my life. And we put a corner of our life over to the side and say, God doesn't have any business with that. That's a closed heart. So the condition this morning is, what's the condition of your heart? Are you in one of these four soils? And everybody in this room is in one of these four soils today. One of these four heart conditions today. Let's look at the first one. Number one is the closed heart. Now, if you'll just walk with me through Mark, and then we're going to look some at Luke and some in the Gospel of John. But Mark chapter 4, verse 4, and then verse 15. And it came about that as he was sowing some seed, fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Now look at verse 15. And these are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown, and when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. This seed falls on that path that the farmer has walked down. He has thrown the seed out in the furrows that have been plowed up, but this is the worn down, beaten down path. It's almost like concrete, and the seed has fallen on that. It goes on the soil but it never falls in the soil. It is never absorbed in the soil. It's like water off a duck's back. Satan comes and snatches it away. The birds come and eat it. Satan devours it. It's sown, but it never reproduces. I kind of wrote a note in my Bible, this life is strictly for the birds. That's really what it is. You get it, you hear it, the person sitting next to you may just absorb it and take it all in and have a wonderful experience and you walk out and say, I don't get it. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't even know why I came today. John chapter 12, verse 37. John 12, verse 37. This is in reference to the signs and miracles that Jesus had performed, but... It says a lot about this closed heart, about the condition of the closed heart. And every time we come together for worship, somebody has a closed heart. Unfortunately, that is always true. No matter what the church, no matter what the denomination, somebody goes to church with a closed heart. Verse 37, John 12. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. That the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 39, for this cause they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, now look at verse 42. Nevertheless, many of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him. 
lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. One of the main reasons that people have closed hearts is because they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. They're worried about what people think. You ever met anybody like that? So caught up in how people will respond to them if they give their heart and their life to Jesus Christ that they are fearful and so they close their heart to it and they don't want to hear it. We live in a gospel-hardened society. We need to understand that there is a biblical principle that's always true. It's true in the physical realm. It's true in the spiritual realm. The same sun that melts ice also hardens clay. And the gospel of God either humbles or it hardens. And we must expect that God's word will give both results. That for some people, the word of God will humble them. For others, the word of God will harden them. We know that to be true with Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart was hardened because he didn't respond to the Word of God and what God had told him to do. We are gospel-hardened. It is a dangerous thing that you and I have heard the Scripture so long that it rolls off our back. It is a dangerous thing if somebody stands in this pulpit and preaches on the prodigal son that for the overwhelming majority of Baptists, we'd say, man, I've heard more sermons on the prodigal son than I can even count. That's right. And yet the church is still full of prodigals. The Word of God is never out of date. It is never antiquated. It is never insignificant. It always has a reason for being proclaimed because there's always somebody with a closed heart that needs to open it. Number two, there's the careless heart. Verse 5 and verse 6. The other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. Now look at verse 16 because he explains the parable in verse 16. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they heard the word, immediately received it with joy. And they had no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. These are people that have no depth. They're shallow. They are impulsive. Now, this is something that if you are an impulsive person, you really have to work on in your spiritual life. Because those who are normally by their personality impulsive people. I mean, if there's a new diet on TV, you call the 800 number and you put it on your MasterCard. If there's a new fad, if there's a new book, if there's a new edge on politics, if there's a new cause, if there's a new list to sign up for, if there's a new ballot, if there's a new petition, I mean, you're after it for a while. And then you move on to something else. Always jumping from one thing to another, up and down and up and down. And see, what happens is that spills over into your Christian life. And you become impulsive in your Christian life. And when there's an enthusiastic sermon or a great upbeat worship service, boy, you're high as a kite. But if it's not something that gets you up emotionally, then you're not even sure you want to go. This happens a lot of times in immature believers who get caught up in going to special events, 
concerts and things like that, they think, boy, this is great. And yet they don't take time to discipline themselves in the Word of God and in sound doctrine, and they have a careless heart. Just jump on the bandwagon. They're just a group of bandwagon Baptists. I mean, any bandwagon that rolls through town, they'll jump on it for a while. And then they get off and they go do something else. These folks are, are suckers for signs and wonders and gimmicks. I mean, they just fall for it. Jesus said, a foolish generation seeks after signs. We are to be people who study the Word. He says, but because of the Word, these people are temporary. And when affliction and persecution arises because of the Word, they check out. They fall away. They leave. They go up like a rocket and come down like a rock. Somebody used to call them Alka-Seltzer or Christians. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz, and then they're gone. You don't even ever know they were around. Careless hearts. Now, turn to Luke chapter 9, if you would, and I want to show you three sins of a careless heart. Careless hearts always make undisciplined decisions. They make careless decisions. They make impulsive reactions. They, they'll always sign up and then never follow through. They'll always put their name down. Oh, yeah, you can count on me, and then they don't show up. They're not committed to disciplining their lives for the long haul. They're just riding the wave of the moment. And so in Luke chapter 9, verse 57, there are three would-be disciples that come to Jesus. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now notice, this one came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man can't get a hotel room. I don't have any place to sleep. This one came to Jesus, verse 59, and he said to another, follow me. Now, Jesus called this one. He initiated the contact and said, follow me. But he said, permit me first to go bury my father. But he, being Jesus, said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, there are three disciples there, and there are three sins of a careless heart. Listen there. First of all is the uncounted cost. The uncounted cost. Haven't thought through the cost of discipleship. The person that says, boy, I, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't want to have to sacrifice anything to do it. I don't want it to cost me anything. I don't want it to inconvenience me in any way. I don't want it to, to change my lifestyle. I want to follow Jesus, but I want to keep everything just like it is. I want all this in heaven too. The uncounted cost. Secondly, there's the unburied corpse. The unburied corpse. This is a me first. Now, if you study this passage of Scripture, you will find out that because of the tense of the words, this man's father was not dead. What he was saying was, uh, Jesus, if you don't mind, I'd like to go home, wait for my dad to die, settle up the estate, make sure my brothers and sisters don't cheat me out of anything, and after I get all the money in the bank, then I'll follow you. That's what he was saying. Jesus said, you let the dead bury the dead. You let those that are interested in those things handle those things. You come follow me. The unburied corpse. Thirdly, there's the unforsaken love. Permit me first to say goodbye to those at home. Unforsaken love. Now there's a third kind of soil that he mentions beginning in verse 7, and that is the cluttered heart. 
verse 7 of Mark, And other seed fell among the thorns, and thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word. I'm in verse 19 now. These are the ones who have heard the word, and the worries of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. These people are drawn by the world, and they are deceived by riches. Their lives are overcrowded and overcommitted. Now, especially those of you with young children know how easy it is to get caught in playing mom and dad and keeping up with games and lessons and everything else. And before you know it, you're running here and there and here and there, and you put your head down on a pillow at the end of the day and say, Lord, boy, you wouldn't believe the day I had. And if you knew the day I had, you'd understand why I hadn't spent any time with you today. You see, this is a heart that is cluttered, so full of so many things, so busy, so active, doing a lot of good things, but not doing the best things. Could I give you an order of priorities that I think is biblical? Number one is God. Number two is your family. Number three is your church. Number four is your job. You say, well, man, I, I, I got to eat and I got to live. That's right. But you can't eat and live and survive and live abundantly without having those first three in life. What does it matter if you got the greatest job in town and you lose your relationship with God and you lose your relationship with your family and you lose your relationship with your church? Get them right. The cluttered heart gets so many busy, it's overcommitted. Everybody that says, would you do this? Oh, yeah, I'll be glad to do it. Sure, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll sign up for that. Oh, yeah, yeah, sign me up. And before you know it, you've got so many things hanging all over you that you can't do anything well. Now, here's the picture. You have two crops competing for the same nutrition, and one of them is going to choke out the other one. Now, I'm not much of a yard person, but I've discovered something. I have to encourage and water and nurture and fertilize grass to grow. I can just drive by my yard and weeds come up. And you know what will happen if you let the weeds stay there? They'll take over the grass. They'll choke it out. You see, you've got good soil and a good crop and you've got a bad crop and the bad will eventually overtake the good. And sometimes in our lives, we've got good things and best things, and the good things crowd out the best things. And we get a cluttered life. This word choked out means to gradually die because of lack of nutrition, air, and sun. To be choked out. And so you and I, if we're going to be all that God expects us to be, then we have to weed out our minds and our lives and our schedules every day. We have to focus in on God. Now, there are three sins or three choices that choke the Word. That should be Word instead of world in your notes. Three sins or three choices that choke the Word. Number one, the cares of the world. Now, we just mentioned that. Job and study and home and school and this and that and running around. I, I tell you, if they gave crowns in heaven for how many miles you can put on a vehicle running your kids back and forth, everybody would get dozens. 
I mean, just all the time on the go. Have you noticed how busy we are? I mean, we are so busy. The cares of the world. Well, I've got to do all that. I've got to... Just ask yourself, do you have to do all that? Can you slow down a little bit? Are there some things that you can take out of your schedule and still keep your priorities straight? Number two, the deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches. Now, tithing is not God's way of raising money. Okay? I want everybody to get that clear. Tithing is not God's way of raising money. It is not even a church's way of raising a budget. Tithing is God's way of teaching us to walk by faith, to trust Him in the area of our finances. God doesn't need the money. I mean, hey, if He needs anything, He can go out and dig up and make a pothole in the street of heaven and get pure gold out of it. If He needs the money, He's got the cattle on a thousand years. God doesn't need your money. If you're given money because you think God needs it, God doesn't need it. You don't give to raise a budget. Now, we've got a budget, and we're behind it. But you don't give to raise a budget. You know why you give? Because every time you give, it tells you, I've got to trust God to make up what I've given away. I've got to believe that God's going to meet a need because I've been obedient to Him and done what He's told me to do, and I've done it because I love Him. Now, He's going to have to meet that up because personally I can find a lot of ways to spend that money, but I'm going to trust Him and I'm going to give it to Him, then I'm going to allow Him to meet my needs. You heard about how the devil tried to get to a Baptist, didn't you? He went to the Baptist and he tried to attack him on his head, hit him over the head, but he couldn't get him because Baptists believe in the eternal security of the believer and he had the helmet of salvation on. So then he tried to hit him in the chest and he couldn't get him there because he had the breastplate of righteousness across him and we believe in being righteous and good and holy people. Then he tried to trip him up with a rope, but he couldn't get him there because Baptists have their feet shod with the gospel of peace. And so the devil slipped around behind him and hit him in the pocketbook and the guy was dead on arrival. The deceitfulness of riches. I cannot tell you how many times I've gone home and told my wife, Honey, I believe if we get a little raise this year, everything will be okay. And by January the 8th, I've said, Honey, what happened to that raise? Where did it all go? And you you don't have any more. You know why? Because riches are deceitful. Rockefeller was asked a question later in his life. How much money does it take to be happy? And he said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Riches are deceitful. I've met some people who are incredibly wealthy who are very happy people. And I've met people who are dirt poor who are just as happy. Riches are deceitful. Thirdly, they're the desire for other things. That word desire means the lust for other things, an insatiable appetite for other things, wanting more and more stuff. Have you noticed that children have a built-in radar for a toy store? You know, they can walk in a strange store and find the toy department in 2.7 seconds. That's a proven fact. And when they get there, I want, I want, daddy, daddy, I need, I need, I got to have, I got to have, I want, I want this, I need this, I need this, can I have this, give me, give me, give me this. And boy, it just drives you crazy, doesn't it? It just drives you nuts. I mean, then you go into your big 
father spilled. What do you think I am? Made of money? And we get into all this stuff. Our kids always want this stuff. Why can't you be happy with God? Look at all the clothes in your closet. Look at all the toys in your room. How many Barbies do you need? How many G.I. Joes do you need? What do you, how many, why do you need all that stuff? And then they leave at the supper table and mom and dad are talking. You know, honey, I'd like to have a house in Gatlinburg one day to retire in and maybe a nice little vehicle sitting out front and maybe some snow skis and, you know, honey, I want this and, honey, if we ever get this paid off, then I want to buy this. And I'll, You know where they get it? They get it from us. That's right where they get it. The desire for other things. You know what other things is? Other things is stuff. I mean, you've got to have stuff, right? Because if you don't have stuff, then you're not... It's no good. You know how to sell a house? Build it with big closets. Because people have, to place, have places to put their stuff. And of course, when the closets get full, then we have what we call in American culture garage sales. So that other people can come and buy our stuff so we can clean out our closets, so we can fill it with more stuff. Because after all, that's the American way. That's what people died for, so that we could have garage sales and get more stuff and sell it for a nickel when we paid $35 for it and think, honey, look at what I got for this, a nickel. Now I can go get more stuff. You see how we get trapped in all of that? But I got good news because you can have a comprehending heart. He says in verse 8, And other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew and increased, they yielded a crop and produced it thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. Verse 20, Those are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, and they heard the word and accepted it and bear fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. So here's the question today. What's the condition of your heart? Is it closed? Have you turned off God and what He wants to say to you today? Is it careless? You're handling things flippantly about God. You're just kind of emotional and up and down and kind of ride the tide of your feelings. Is it cluttered? You just kind of got it all cluttered up with junk. Or does your heart today comprehend the deep thing that God wants to do in you this morning? so deep that when you do it, you will produce fruit 30, 60, 100-fold. Now, best I can tell, regardless of the economy, if I can do something and put something into my life that will reproduce out of my life 30, 60, or 100-fold, that's the best investment I could ever make with my life, is investing it in the Word of God and allowing it to speak to me. So my question is, what's the condition of your heart? Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Kett. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.